Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Thanks, Fee, and good morning again. And let me say happy Christmas, because it's not far away, right? Um, So I hope you're looking forward to Christmas. Um, The Christmas decoration wars in our street continue. Um, And uh, around us is massive blow-up Santas. Have you seen these things? They're huge, they're intimidating. And um, every year when I see those big blow-up Santas and I'm thinking about the joy of Christmas Jesus, I just have to resist temptation. Because, you know, getting closer to Christmas when you see the deflated... You see those deflated Santas? And when that happens in my street, I want to be able to go out in good conscience saying it wasn't me, it's okay. Um, We're going to talk about joy this morning, joy in Jesus, uh, a joy that we need to hear uh, no matter what our circumstances, uh, a joy that our world needs to hear. So let's pray as we hear the joy that's in Jesus. Our great Heavenly Fathers, we come to Christmas, uh, we are all in different circumstances um, of life. Uh, Father, we want the joy that comes uh, not just when things are are great for us, uh, but when things aren't great. Uh, Lord, help us to focus on Jesus, uh, to see in Him true joy, uh, to praise Him, to give glory to His name. Uh, Help us to do that this Christmas, but help us to do it each and every week of our lives. Uh, So Lord, by your Spirit now, speak to us, open your word to us, uh, reveal your secret things to us as we hear your voice and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to, uh, we're in Luke chapter 1, so have it in front of you, and we come to a really famous and really influential song. I want to say the most famous, the most influential song in all of uh, history. Uh, It's not Beyonce, it's not Bob Dylan, it's Mary's song. Uh, Here it is in front of us in Luke chapter 1, and famously called the Magnificant, uh, which means, it's it's Latin for magnify, make great, glorify, that's what Mary's doing. And it's a song of massive joy, of an outpouring from a woman just deep within her soul, who loves God, uh, wants to make God look big. She praises God, she adores God, she gets what's going on amongst her. Listen to these words. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. See, what's happened for Mary, she's, she's well aware what's going on in her midst Here, all the hopes and dreams throughout the centuries have come down, about to be fulfilled in this son that she is carrying. She's been spending time with Elizabeth. She will give birth to John the Baptist, another great figure who will prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the way for Jesus. Huge things are about to happen in the unfolding of God's plans. Now to be fulfilled in Mary, now Mary expresses it in, in joyful song and praise to her great God. It's an extraordinary song, but can I say it's an even more extraordinary song when you consider Mary's circumstances. 
Think with me for a moment what it would be like to be in Mary's shoes on the first Christmas. We started this journey last week. She's not in the best possible place, is she? Uh, This is an interesting place to be in. She's had the the word from the angel incredibly confronting. You will give birth to the son, the saviour. This is not a plan, from her perspective, this is not a planned pregnancy uh, to prepare for. Uh, There's a whole lot of uncertainty, there's a whole lot of fear going on for Mary, isn't there? And it's a dangerous place to be in too, isn't it? Here she is pregnant out of wedlock in the first century. She's almost certainly about to lose her fiancé. Matthew tells us that's what uh, Joseph has in mind. She could be cast out of her family. She could be stoned if they suspect she's committed adultery. How is it that she can rejoice in such profound ways in this song? Now, you might be thinking the same as you think about Christmas coming up. I'm meant to rejoice. In fact, that's what the Christian life is about, isn't it? Uh, God calls us to rejoice in all circumstances. Here we are at Christmas, and I don't feel like rejoicing. Um, as you kind of something about Christmas, isn't it, that brings things to a head? I don't know about you, but you reflect on the year that's gone. Uh, it's a great time to be thankful for all that's happened, but you can think into some of the disappointments. You gather with uh, family that perhaps is strained in, in parts. Uh, you reflect on who's not at the Christmas dinner this year because they're no longer with us. And you're just desperate to draw on something deeper to rejoice at Christmas. And that's what we're going to think about this morning. Uh, because it's not just Christmas, is it? We actually want to rejoice whatever our circumstances are throughout our Christian lives. So if you're a follower of Jesus... Uh, we are called to rejoice in all circumstances. How can we do that? We're going to learn again from Mary. So turn with me, Luke chapter 1, have in front of you verse 46. Have your Bibles out, uh, your apps. Uh, Here is Christmas through the eyes of Mary. And I want to give you four things. Mary is able to rejoice because of these four things. Listen to these four things with me. The first one is immensely freeing and simple. Here it is. The first one is Mary gives glory to God. Mary gives glory to God. She sings in that first line, my soul magnifies the Lord. Uh, it's, it's that picture of a magnifying glass that makes things look bigger. My soul wants God to look great, to look big. I want to magnify God in this situation. Uh, you know, it's, it's a heartfelt thing, isn't it? With all her being, with all her soul, with all her spirit, she sings, I want God to look big. I want God to look bigger and me smaller. I want to recognise he is significant. I am insignificant. Uh, he is to be praised. He is to be held high. He is holy. He has done great things for me. Things I don't deserve. He is merciful. He is gracious. He keeps his promises. She recognises all these things. Have you noticed her song is all about how great God is, not how great she is. It's all about how great God is, not, not how great she is. 
I don't know about you, but does that sound counterintuitive to you? When your circumstances aren't great, doesn't something within us say, I need to, to bring joy to myself? Isn't it about making me number one? Don't I need to treat myself? Don't I need to pump myself up? Don't I need to have some focus on me? Uh, if it helps, put others down, even ignore God. Isn't it about me? I'm the one. I need help. But it's, it's the opposite, isn't it? She finds joy not by looking inward, but by looking upward towards God and his greatness. By actually humbling herself before the God of the universe, recognising his greatness, recognising he is in control. He has everything in his in his plans, everything covered. We saw it last week. She's actually able to humble, us, humble herself and say, may your word to me, Lord, be fulfilled. You are the great one. I am a humble servant. I'm in your hands. I trust you. I am your child. You are my father. I leave it with you. Incredibly freeing. Uh, that's how she's able to rejoice. And can I say, there is, there is a very strong woman of faith isn't it we saw this last week we see it again this week there is a strong woman of faith there is a beautiful woman Uh, lots of talk within our culture isn't there of what what it means to be a strong woman a beautiful woman but here it is from god strong because she's not focused on herself she's focused on god strong because she's secure in god strong because she's a servant of a very, very powerful God. And this is so different to what our culture says is powerful, doesn't it? So different to what our culture says is beautiful. Here she is, secure, known by God, loved by God, her own woman under God. It reminds me of what the Apostle Peter says. He says, your beauty comes, uh, should come not from outward appearance, but in your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. It's got nothing to do with personality. It's got nothing to do with uh, whether you're extroverted or introverted. It's got everything to do with your attitude towards God. Here, Here she is. Her heart's response is, God is great. God is to be magnified. Just completely redefines beauty, doesn't it? And I reckon here is a woman in Mary that we can aspire to be like. Uh, this is the, the, the women I want my daughters to be. This is the woman I reckon if you're looking for a marriage partner to look for. And praise God, you know, I, in, this should greatly encourage you. So many women across Salt are like this. Strong, beautiful women who trust in God, who give glory to God. There's the first one, giving glory to God. Second thing Mary does, which is extraordinarily powerful, look at verse 48. She recognises God has been mindful of me, a humble servant. Uh, Though God is great and I am a nobody, God has been mindful of me, his humble servant. She she knows she's not important. She knows she comes from a uh, a backwater town. She's from a poor family. She doesn't have a high status, but she is known by God. God has been mindful of her. Uh, the God of the universe, the God who created heaven and earth, knows his child, Mary. Incredibly powerful. Uh, it's, it's the same for us too, isn't it? If you know Jesus, 
You don't need to be important in the world's eyes. There you are as a child of God. Your heavenly father knows you as the precious daughter, as the precious son. He's mindful of you. Very powerful. But notice thirdly, she recognises God has a unique place for her amongst all women across history as he saves the world. She's particularly blessed. Look at verse 48, uh, second half. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. See, there she is. She's about to give birth to the son of God. Uh, she will have a key role in, in the plans and purposes of God to save the world. Look at, down in verse 55. Just as God has promised. Just as God has promised. So hundreds of years of expectation for the Messiah to come now find their fulfilment through her. She is incredibly blessed to be part of this. And I don't know whether you've noticed the different historical details throughout Luke's gospel, even in the first couple of chapters of Luke. But I reckon here's another piece to the reliability of the Bible. If you're wondering whether Jesus is true, wondering whether the, the Bible has credibility, if the gospels are reliable, I reckon it's Old Testament prophecy. The fact that the, the New Testament keeps picking up these great promises of the past, look, they've found their fulfilment in Jesus. Uh, so Jesus doesn't arrive in a vacuum. He's actually spoken of hundreds of times, prophesied in the Old Testament, various places, different prophets at different times across 1,500 years, bring you to Jesus who actually existed and walked the earth, the King, the Messiah, the Saviour, God's Son, been promised, now arrived. Uh, it's, it's hundreds of times. So Micah speaks of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 11, the root of Jesse will come. Uh, Isaiah 7, we saw last week, the Emmanuel, God with us through a virgin. Isaiah 49, 53, the suffering servant will come. Uh, 2 Samuel 7, the king from David's line will rule his kingdom forever. That is Jesus. Or even right back to Genesis chapter 3. There's coming one that's from the offspring of Eve who will come to crush the head of Satan. Now that one has arrived. Mary's about to give birth to this one. So there she is. She'll carry the saviour of the world, incredibly important part of God's plans. Uh, she's it's incredibly special, she's incredibly unique, isn't it, to, to be Mary, that one woman across all of history. But you've got to be careful with, with Mary's uniqueness too, haven't you? Uh, we touched on this last week again, but let me remind you that the Roman Catholic Church does go in a wrong direction at this point. Uh, you might have heard... Uh, of Mary's immaculate conception taught by the Roman Catholic Church, that she was sinless. Uh, it's referring not to the birth of Jesus, but actually Mary's conception in the womb of her mother. They teach that she was born without sin and she lived her whole life without sin. But notice here in Mary's song, Mary doesn't have that view of herself. Notice she, like every human being who's ever lived, and the Bible says, like every human being, has fallen short and needs forgiveness from God. Notice that she acknowledges her need for a saviour. Look at verse 47, beautiful part of the song. 
My spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. See, if you're sinless, you don't need a saviour, do you? But there is Mary. She knew she needed, she needed God to save her. She is so thankful that God has come to save. There is her saviour. Come to forgive her, to show mercy to her. And so she rejoices with all of us that the saviour is here. Fourthly, notice um, she not only rejoices in what God has done for her, but she sings of what God will do for many and many people to come, for many generations to come. Look at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. There will be a joy experienced by millions and millions of people for generations to come who will be able to sing this song. Rejoice because Jesus brings a great revolution. Jesus brings reversal of injustice. They will see, like Mary, finally, in a world messed up by sin, God will put it right. God will turn the tables. God will put the world up in the way it should be. Mary's going to go on to express what this saviour is like, what this saviour will do, what he's done and what he will do. Look at verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Do you notice all the past tense? Verse 52, he has brought down rulers. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry. It sounds like it's all in the past, doesn't it? But actually in the original, the the tense in Greek is actually more nuanced than that. There are more options than just past, present, future. There is an option in a tense that has, it is past with ongoing, yet to be fulfilled consequences. And that's, the, that's what's going on here. Um, there is something that God has done in the past. She's looking back to the kind of God that God is. He is the one who has performed mighty deeds and he will perform mighty deeds in Jesus and that will be fulfilled on that last day. It's kind of three movements, past, present and future, all in one. Uh, as she thinks, as we think now into Jesus, yes, God has done it in the past. Now he'll do it even more in a, in a bigger and more permanent way in Jesus. And so it's almost like she can speak about it, she can sing about it as if it's already been done. You know that kind of thing where you, it's not quite there yet, Jesus hasn't quite achieved it, but it's going to happen. It's so certain that you can say it is done. I reckon it's that way a little bit when you buy a house. Um, you, you think back to a, a friend who might have said to you, I, I've, just bought a, I've just bought a house. And what do they mean by that? Have you just bought a house? I think you've just put a deposit down on a house. Um, you don't own it yet. Settlement hasn't even happened yet. In fact, it'll be 25 years before you have bought that house. But I get what you're saying. It's as good as yours. It's sold. It's done deal. That's what she's expressing in the coming of Jesus. Here's what the world has been waiting for. Here's what we desperately need. Here's what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. Uh, he's scattered 
those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. It's so true, isn't it? What is the one thing that would stop anyone from coming to salvation, to coming to Jesus? Isn't it your proud thoughts? That's where pride starts, in your mind, in your thoughts. To think, I'm actually not that bad. I'm, back, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a sinner. I don't need Jesus. I'm okay. Jesus is really not who he says he is. He's really not that great. I'm okay on my own without him. I remember visiting uh, one of my aunts on her deathbed. Um, I've been praying for her and I've perhaps naively been thinking, now that she's really sick, she will finally recognise who Jesus is. And I thought to myself, um, so I was uh, a little bit younger, thinking, when you, when you get to that point in life, surely you think, now is the time to turn to the Saviour. I need Jesus. I'm about to face him. My life hasn't been what it could have been, should have been. I'm not perfect. I need forgiveness. You know, I don't know what went on in the, the last moments of her life, but it was... It was a real wake-up call to me that her stubbornness, uh, her pride continued from what I could see right to the very end, right to the very end. And, you know, um, as we were uh, sorting out some of her stuff, I remember going through um, some photos and and I saw a photo of her. So there she was uh, dying at the age of 80 or so. I saw a photo of her when she must have been in her early 20s and I don't know whether this is a family myth or something, but she, I'm pretty sure she entered Miss Queensland. <laughs> I don't know how well she went, but she looked stunning as a young woman. And I thought, so sadly, she wasn't beautiful in the sight of the Lord uh, from as far as I could see on that last day. But here is, here is Jesus who turns the tables who scatters the proud. Verse 52, he's brought down rulers and he will bring down rulers from their thrones. Uh, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things. He's sent the rich away empty. You actually start to see some of these things in the person of Jesus as he walks along the road in Palestine, don't you? Um, who are the people that refuse him? It's so often the high, the mighty, the religious. Who are the ones who come to him humbly? It's the needy the sick, the spiritually needy, uh, the, the poor in spirit. Jesus is the ultimate social justice warrior. Uh, social justice is such a big thing on our radar these days, isn't it? But don't forget that God is far bigger on it than you will ever be. Uh, it's such a Christian thing to be thinking about social justice. But here is God who's gone way before us, who thinks about it so much bigger and so much more permanently. Here is Jesus who will turn the tables, who will right every wrong, uh, not just in a glimpse on the road in Palestine, but in his death and resurrection as he builds a new kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth. So you think about that last day, that last judgment, everything will be put right. Uh, No longer will people abuse other people with power. And no longer will the arrogant get away with it. No longer will the proud who refuse to bow the knee to Jesus continue to live. 
Uh, they will be humbled, they will be brought down. No longer will the rich rule over the poor. There's coming a time where every evil thought, every evil deed will be brought to account. When justice will be finally and perfectly served. Look forward to that day. What a great day. It's so good, isn't it? No wonder Mary is rejoicing. That's what our world desperately needs. There is real joy. There is something that that you can really praise God about. Uh, As I think about those things, that is what gives me comfort. That is what gives me joy. That picture of the last day, only possible because of Jesus' death and resurrection. As I think about the injustices of our world, there is real hope in Jesus and what he has done. And so as you, as you click those, those things up in your mind and, and think about Mary's song, let me point some things out to you. Notice here, there is joy, not in the absence of difficulty and suffering, but notice it's right in the midst of, of uh, difficulty and suffering. So here, here is joy for Mary in the midst of uncertainty, not in the absence of, of certainty. It's not Mary going, I've finally got all of my life worked out, everything's going swimmingly, and now I can rejoice. It's such the unique nature of Jesus-shaped joy that it's actually in the darkness, in the uncertainty, in the difficulty, in the suffering, in the pain, that you're able to rejoice. That is, that is unique, I think, to Christian faith. Because there's so many other ways of dealing with uncertainty, so many other ways of dealing with difficulty and suffering, isn't there? One of them is escapism. And we're all aware of this, and we're, we, we fall, we, we're tempted to go in that direction, aren't we? To go, I've got these, these difficult circumstances, how am I going to deal with it? I'm going to kind of bypass it, bystep it, and I'm going to go to something else that will make me feel better so that I don't have to think about that thing that I don't like. And so we go to entertainment or alcohol uh, or a relationship that, I, that is ungodly, uh, all kinds of, or, or workaholism. There's all kinds of things, isn't there? That's escapism. And it's not, uh, another option is um, to just be superficial, to actually, just to actually go, it's really not that bad. Um, we don't really need to worry. It'll be okay. It'll all turn out in the end. Um, you know, people that often encourage you in that way, and I, I go, I, I don't know whether that helps. It's really not that great where I'm at. Uh, it really needs something deeper. Would you please recognise this is not great? We need to dig deeper to find joy and hope and peace. I, um, I got an email from. Uh, sounds like all my relatives are passing away, but they're not. <laughs> but I. An uh, uncle who lives in uh, Southampton, uh, in England, uh, who I visited years ago, he passed away a couple of weeks ago. And so the family's been uh, contacting us and telling us what they're doing. Uh, and it was lovely for them to do that. But I was just reflecting on, as they talked about not having a funeral and remembering him in positive ways, uh, in all the things that they enjoyed to do with him, I thought that is helpful. But there's something missing in all of this. Um, have you recognised that he's no longer with us? And that is a terrible thing. That death, his death is a terrible thing. That all deaths are a terrible thing. It feels like we're avoiding that subject. We're going around that subject. 
And Christian hope doesn't do that. There is much, there's a much better and more solid hope that rejoices in Jesus and recognises difficulty and suffering and darkness because Jesus conquered death. Uh, there's a song I came across, a very famous song this week. Uh, it's a kind of joy um, that, it's a kind of song that speaks into this joy, this deep joy. It's, it's the song, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, many of you will know this song. Uh, written by um, a guy called Spafford, Horatio Spafford. Uh, he was a guy who, again, doesn't write the hymn when things are all going well. Let me give you the backstory to how he came to write this hymn. Not in the absence of tragedy, but right, right in the midst of it. Spafford wrote this song after he'd lost his son in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. Uh, he was, I think he was a, quite a well-known business person. He was a supporter of ministry. He was a godly man. Loses his son in the fire. Shortly after, he loses four daughters uh, who are on a ship with his wife crossing the Atlantic Ocean in a boating accident. And he writes the song as he travels across the Atlantic Ocean shortly after, as he crosses the point where his daughters drowned. That's when he writes this song, It Is Well With My Soul. That is profoundly different, isn't it? That is, a, that is a deep joy, a deep recognition in deep sadness and darkness and death. He rejoices in Jesus, in, in deeper and bigger things. Not in, not in the absence of darkness, but in the midst of darkness. So we've, we've seen today, joy, joy in Mary's song, in, in, the, in the midst of darkness and, and suffering. But... Notice also it's a, it's a joy expressed in song. Don't forget that. This is a song. This is Mary's songs. I reckon there's another uniqueness to uh, Christian faith. We sing songs of great joy. Uh, that's, that's what we do. We sing heartfelt songs of great praising to our God. And here's one of the ways you can tell someone who's changed, who's spirit-filled... They love to sing the praises of God. They love to actually with joy sing what God has done. It's, it's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to these words. Be filled with the Spirit. And he goes on to say all kinds of different ways, most, mostly relationships. But here's another way. Ephesians 5.19. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. So it doesn't matter how bad your voice is, and my voice is pretty bad. Right? I love to sing in church because I can't sing anywhere else. This is the place to do it amongst brothers and sisters. Um, it's so good to hear the singing of brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and it's so good to come to church to hear you sing uh, the praises of God. Uh, to hear you sing badly as well makes me, makes me feel good. Um, so it's so encouraging to hear when you sing. And I kind of, I've got to be honest, I don't get it when we don't sing well, when we don't give it our all. I think, what's going on in our hearts? If you know Jesus, you know the salvation, look at the wonderful things God has done. Why aren't you singing with great praise and joy and thankfulness? Uh, maybe it's that, you're feeling a bit self-conscious and I want to say 
just get over that. Uh, it's all good. We're all friends. Um, maybe there's a point um, where you come along, and sometimes you come along, you're, in, you're feeling actually quite down, quite depressed. Um, and it, it is a time to think and to, to hear the voices of brothers and sisters who encourage you. I kind of get that. But don't, don't stay there. Um, singing is so good for your soul, so good for your heart. Uh, as you encourage others and you're encouraged by others as well. And can I say too, it's a great experience to sit down here in the front rows. Uh, you'll encourage our musos. Um, so I sometimes sit down here and I worry that I'm going to put you off if I sing too loudly because my, my voice is so badly bad. But a couple of weeks ago, I um, wasn't preaching. I sat in the back row uh, and um, the singing's not as good in the back row, so don't sit there. Um, get here, but it was really interesting to th- see only half of our gathering actually comes for the singing at the start. Have you noticed this? Um, so if, if, you're, um, if you're running late, do keep coming to church. I don't want you not to come. I think better to get here early, isn't it? To get here early uh, because after the second song, all of a sudden our gathering's grown by double. We're all here, but you've missed something really, really important. You've missed that soul-filling, praising God, encouraging one another. And so I just want to encourage you to get here early. Um, uh, Better to be early than late. Check your kids in early. Come and rejoice in song. Um, Encourage one another in song. I just want to keep encouraging you to do that. I I, uh, went to uni with a friend uh, who, he almost prided himself on saying, I only come to church for the sermon." And I, don't know how to th- I didn't know how to think about that at the time. I think sounds kind of godly. He's a man of the word. He wants to hear the word. He wants to take the word seriously. But he wasn't taking the word of serious- God, God seriously. I think he was actually being really selfish. He just came for what he wanted to come for. And then he left. And he wasn't interested in singing the praises of God. He wasn't interested in encouraging other people. Don't be like him. Come, sing, rejoice. The last thing to say... Notice this joy that we've been talking about uh, is not for everyone. This deep, profound joy is not for everyone. Look at verse 50. It's for those who fear him. It's a unique joy. It's a profound joy. But it's for those who revere Jesus, who recognise Jesus as Lord. There is your joy praising him, giving thanks to him, giving glory to him. I'm going to give you a moment now to think on these things. Uh, Let me just give you a moment just to pause, reflect, uh, give thanks, um, rejoice in the Saviour as we think about the effect that Mary's song has had on us and as we get ready to to sing with joy. Um, So let me give you a moment and then I'll close in prayer. Father God, we want to be the people that give uh, glory and praise to your holy name. Uh, We want people that deep within us rejoice in you, our Saviour. Father, thanks for this reminder through Mary's song of deep joy, uh, not in the absence of suffering and darkness, but in the midst of it. In the midst of a world broken, messy with sin, you bring hope and joy. Father, thank you that this is not uh, wishful thinking, this is real. 
Uh, this is what Jesus came to achieve in his death and resurrection, bringing justice, um, righting every wrong, um, humbling the proud, lifting up the humble servant. Father, thank you for grace and mercy and forgiveness in our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Help us to rejoice, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.